curious about the art and science of change? We are too. Welcome to the Repivot Project Podcast. I'm Deirdre Sattarelli, your host. And on this podcast, we'll talk to people who have had significant professional and personal transformation or who have businesses that help others achieve the transformation they want in their lives. We'll also talk to companies and brands that are leading transformational change in their industry. If you want actionable tactics and strategies to create the positive change you want in your life, this is the podcast for you. Sometimes change comes not in the neat, pretty packages that we want, and it comes sometimes very personally. My next guest, Ed Horak, is an accomplished sailor, a senior technology executive, a former college athlete, and he talks to us about the moment when he received a diagnosis that was going to alter his life forever. Ed, I have been waiting so long to have you on this podcast. Welcome to the Repivot Project. Thank you, Deirdre. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm excited to be here. How long have you and I been friends? 40 years-ish. Yeah. And then it's, we started out when we were, what, five years old? <laughs> <laughs> Seven, maybe. <laughs> So Ed, the podcast is about the art and science of change and transition. And we talk to people who have had big changes uh, in their lives professionally or personally. But you've always been a role model of mine because you've always been focused on this notion from a professional perspective of self-actualization. Like you were always open to reading books about improving sales skills or improving presentation skills or leadership. What made you interested in that? It's hard to hit a moving target. So as you move through life, nothing's predictable. Nothing goes as planned typically. So um, it was almost a notion of survival. And you worked in technology. So survival was key because how do you keep abreast? I mean, in, in the long career that you had, which was in a highly technical field, you had to stay abreast of all of the changes. How was that? Did you anticipate yourself doing that when you were a younger person? Not even close. My, my dad, interesting father of the uh of of our era you know very went to work not very touchy-feely i remember going to college going i don't know what i want to do and his answer was it'll come to you and i started off i had no in, in, in ambition that i was gonna play hockey you know to earn money or anything i just thought i could still play a little bit in college and i had to evolve and change there and to adapt into eventually just getting a degree and then getting a degree which is good advice for people who want to go to college now. It's, if you don't know, sometimes it's just good to get a degree and grow and develop in that process. So I got the degree and then it became, well, now I'm going to make a living. And if you call 1981 was not great time economically. So I bounced around and did a lot of different things. I had one time cobbled together a series of jobs where I'd start off at two o'clock in the morning. I'd supervise a bunch of guys who threw the, uh, who uh, delivered the Wall Street Journal from their car. Then I'd go into a law, a, a law firm in Boston where I had the notion I might go to law school. And after I left, I went over to Faneuil Hall Market and sold um, Cape Cod chips out of a stall. And it was the, uh, before, right at that point, you know, you want potato chips? Yeah, here's your potato chips. I, they had, this is before they started to flavor them all. Right. So we would actually take like shakers and shake different flavors, you know, onion, cinnamon or whatever on them. And then I found, and then it's just like, I want to work for a company that gave me some security. And then it just kind of evolved from there. I became like the first person who would take the upgrade story on the road. For our listeners, Ed's talking about technology for telecommunications and sort of sell upgrades to 
customers. And I had this cool little office where it was almost like a laboratory. And I could play around with, uh, I had a call switch 210, which is, a, which is a little device made by an Irish company. I got to play with it in the, in the office. And that sort of spawned some, hey, this is kind of cool. I left the day feeling pretty good about what I was doing. And so you saw that whole field evolve, certainly from like traditional telephony to IP-based services. You also made changes in terms of the companies that you worked for as well, too. You were not all in on one company for your whole career. I thought it was going to be, but that didn't turn out. Life has a funny way of doing that. You were an outstanding athlete, athlete in college, knew that you weren't going to be able to make money at that. So you had to pivot, got to figure out the job piece of that. Very successful executive career in you know, Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 20 companies, frankly, for that matter. And then you had a change of a personal nature. Tell me about that. Thank you for the kind words. Outstanding is a strong word. I was a moderately successful athlete. My brothers were very much better than me. So I was working, as you know, I left Verizon and went on to work for Cisco. And very, I loved that job. I always wanted to work for Cisco because I thought they were thought leaders. And put you in a discussion, not just selling stuff, but being, you know, being in a discussion about where technology was going to help lead a company. So I, I'm working there, bumping along, doing pretty well. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm still playing hockey and I'm in sleep. And all of a sudden, I have a tough time holding on to my stick. Huh, that's weird. I must be getting old. That's a theme you'll hear later on as you hear about other people who got this disease. Then golf season came up. I was on a driving range. I had a six iron in my hand. And it didn't, didn't just kind of fall out of my hand. It flew like a tomahawk behind me about 40 yards. It's like, wow, this is really, I, I must, must have something going on. And I still thought about it. I'm at a technology fundraiser. You know, it was a, we were donating old technology to a company. And I remember lifting a old CRT TV and it wasn't heavy. I didn't feel like it was heavy. My hands kept letting go. So I thought it was, um, I thought, well, I must have something going on in my hands, some nerve thing. All the while, my poor wife has secretly read an, uh, uh, an obituary of somebody that she told me about later. So I go in to get an EMG. There's this nerve test in, in, in technology terms. It, it, it tests the round trip latency from your brain to the muscle. And I'm telling them, yeah, my wife thinks I have ALS, but you know, he's not ALS. And he goes, hi. And he starts going through. And now this has taken a lot longer. And he's working on areas of my body that I didn't think were affected. At the end of it, he says, I got to send you to a neurologist. Yeah, why is that? Because uh, of the thing your wife's worried about. I still didn't believe it. And I didn't went home. And I didn't like to give my wife bad news, particularly on a Friday. I thought it would ruin the weekend. But I didn't. I felt like I can't hold this to myself. So I told her. She was upset. And I didn't understand why. Um, so I said, this is not going to be this. And she just quietly hands me this obituary of a guy who was my age who died of ALS, and the first sign he had was he couldn't hold on to his hockey stick. So I felt terrible for her, and that she was living with this, this thought. And then one thing leads to another, and I go to the Kurt Schilling Center for ALS in Burlington. This sort of advances, I think, some of our discussion here. We're really fortunate to live where we live. I could diagnose in about six months, you know, from symptom onset, and then this disease... What you typically understand is that, oh, I've had this going on for a lot longer you mm -hmm. know, prior to. This guy diagnosed me really in about a half hour. He said to me, um, walk on your toes. So I walk on my toes. He was now walking your heels. And it was weird. It's essentially all of a sudden I realized I couldn't pick my toes up. And he said, I don't think you have ALS because ALS doesn't discriminate. If you had ALS, you wouldn't be able to walk on either. Okay. So that's good news. I think that made her feel a lot better. And then 
from there, it's pretty uh, straightforward. They send you to, a, to get a muscle biopsy, and that's a confirmation. So now he tells me I have uh, this disease I've never heard about, inclusion body myositis. It's in the myositis family of diseases amongst the rare diseases, amongst, amongst 7,000 rare diseases that exist and documented in uh, the United States. And the start, hardest thing was he had no, there was, you know, I'm a solution person, all right? So how do we fix this? I'd start shopping for a ranch because the effect of the disease, it's, it showed up in my hands first, but you fall and you can't walk upstairs and eventually you won't be able to walk upstairs at all. And you know, that was practical advice, but I'm like, all right, well, what else? Exercise, physical therapy. And uh, he had nothing for me, which is fine. I mean, he, he did what he had to do. He's just, he's a scientist, a technologist sort of, and he just kind of moved on. Now I'm faced with a position of talk about pivoting and changing. I've got to decide, do I tell work in the high fast paced Cisco high technology world? Are they going to tolerate somebody who can't move as fast? I, my typing was getting very sloppy. My handwriting mm-hmm. was difficult. I knew that it wouldn't last very long, and I had to decide whether I wanted to go out on disability or not. And when would that be? And those trigger points. It was an interesting, difficult time. What I'm hearing you say is, I mean, you you had you've got your identity as a technology executive, mm-hmm. and you've got your identity as someone who's really physical enjoys doing lots of different things and now all of a sudden you're struggling with potentially losing both of those identities to a degree it was you know i wouldn't even use the word potential it was a you know beta complete if, if you read anything and at that time um there was a big press on not exercise it never made sense to me thankfully i didn't take that advice so yeah it was it was a total reset so what am i going to do if i go out on disability what am i going to do how do i maintain my mobility and functionality as long as i can in a disease that suggests that you're going to be in a wheelchair in eight years yeah it was a tough time and it's a rare disease does it does it seem to you that first off are there uh, there i'm sure there's medications that you take to help mediate some of this or not not really. No, there's, there's nothing that, that there's no cure. There's no treatment. I, did, I was on a trial of a, a drug called Paramakama for a while. It didn't pan out, but no, there's no, there's no supplements. And was, you know, you could take right. it. But I think we could have an entire podcast on what the supplement industry does in this country. Yeah. So it's not even an issue of uh, it not getting the attention of pharmaceutical companies because there's really, it can't be treated that in that way. It's different than say, ALS or cancer, where the pharmaceuticals see dollar signs there. There was, I think Aramacamol was suited to help people with this disease and, and ALS, to be, to be honest. But I think they also saw it as an age in degrees. As people got older, would this help regrow muscle for people who were atrophying? That didn't work. But so there are, there's a, do, a doctor by the name of Goldberg in Boston who is solely dedicated to IBM research, but by and large, there's not a lot of money in it, so there's not as much interest. You know, we're talking donations and grants in the in the in the range of hundreds to maybe a million dollars versus millions mm-hmm. of dollars that go to other diseases. So then, how do you get attention to a rare disease? Are there? I'm sure there's um, a community that you have people of note. Peter Frampton came out. Let me take this back one step. There's a guy by the name of Mike Krakow, who is the for baseball fans. He was the Jerry Remy of San Francisco Giants. He'd color commentary, text picture, 
really nice guy. I went out to a uh, session he had on the Giants field where the, he was he he has the disease and um, driving awareness in it in, in his community, but not nationally. And I, he didn't want to be that guy, which is certainly his choice. So we met him and we went out for that awareness day. And then a few years ago, Peter Frampton came out and he made the circuit on the morning talk shows that he had this disease. I'm like, oh my God, Peter Frampton's good. Who's in body myositis? And hearing these words on a national TV show was just, it was weird. Um, he described it as he was falling. Now I have fallen, but I have, that is less, was less my issue than my hand. He described it just as I described earlier. He said, I thought I'm just getting old. And um, he has since been a bit of a face for this, but I think we've talked about this before. When you're in your midlife, 40s, 50s, and you get a disease like this that is slowly progressive, unlike ALS, which takes you out in three to five years. I believe I was talking about uh, Mike Krakow and, and on to Peter Frampton. Yes. Who professed that he had uh, the disease. And so that that helped. When I Early on, I was talking to another um, support leader who suggested, you know, she, she said, uh, we need George Clooney to get this disease. And she's being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but she was, we needed some face. Right. This summer we had a little, or this spring we had a little uptick. Uh, Mark Wahlberg was in a movie called Father Stu. Father Stu was more of a transformation story around a guy who became a priest who had a, a rough life. But in the course of it, he contracted IBM. So we got some, some play there. I, I've talked to people who are more involved and influential of trying to get Wahlberg to come out a little bit and talk about the disease. So the the movie in, in what Wahlberg has attached his uh, notoriety to is more around the idea of um, recovering Catholics versus, which is a, a major theme in the movie. IBM is a secondary theme. It'd be, it'd be nice if he launched on to some of the awareness that we've been doing. I will show you secondarily. Now, we as soldiers from this do all sorts of stuff. A couple of bands, if uh, you can see, one is um, uh, B-Rob, first pitch for myocytes. I'm also wearing his t-shirt, so Rob. His name is Vance Robinson. He's in California, my West Coast friend who is about my age. Again, he's already in the in the chair, and he's got a great attitude, and he started this first, first pitch campaign where he'd go to a bunch of college ballparks and spread awareness and do a little video on um, throwing out a first pitch for their, their baseball games. He would record them with some great music. He's pretty good at that sort of mix. There's that. Last year, he did a similar campaign where he did a every day in May. He put on a different college uniform or professional uniform. I was talking to him. He said he got the Yankees to jump in. I said, well, I can't have that and not have you do the Red Sox. So I pulled a couple of strings and got him someone to send him some Red Sox stuff. So he wore the Red Sox stuff one day. He was, he's just very focused on this and he's got a great attitude, great sense of humor about it. Um, so there's all these little campaigns that exist around to drive awareness, but it's frustrating a little bit to me sometimes because I don't want to sound annoyed or but people don't care. It's like, it's, it, we've talked about the um, Shriners commercials where the kids come out and they're terribly affected and that drives dollars. You know, somebody for in their forties or fifties. And that's the worst part. You know, some, they say after 50, it's on, I've seen it in, in people in their forties. It shortens your career. It shortened mine. Right. Like, some people get it in their later, later seventies. Almost no one cares about that. You know, you're just getting old. And this is the vehicle by which you're getting old. Let me tell you, this is real. 
In a moment, we'll learn more about how Ed is navigating receiving a life-altering medical diagnosis. But first, a word from one of our business partners. Ready to transform your life and business with soul and strategy, but don't know where to start? Lexi Godlewski transforms leaders into soultrepreneurs with heart-centered coaching and marketing strategy. She shares all the insider tips on her podcast, Building My Empire, A Journey of Transformation. To start your journey, get a copy of her free guide and discover her top success secrets by visiting 17successsecrets.com today. We're back to our conversation with Ed Horak. I know you have a support system around you, so shout out to Elisa for sure. But t- tell me how it affects your support system. You know, I um, we had plans that we were going to retire like everybody else and travel. Traveling, I, we're still traveling. You know, going for a walk. Oh, you can go for a walk. I, one of the reasons I... Um, getting a power chair so we could go for a walk and she could walk normally otherwise she's got to walk like if you remember you know mr wiggins and the old cow Burnett show you, you just walk very slowly that's not great for her but so now we have a power chair where we go for these walks all the stuff that you expect to do as you got your life back after all those years of working mm-hmm. got time back um they're not there anymore so it's a huge adjustment for her and i'm sure it's hard i, I think sometimes it's harder to watch somebody you care about go through this stuff than it is to go through it yourself right so do, do you you know we you and i put the news on read there's a lot going on these days that take i would say people's emotional attention do you find it's hard to get people to have empathy for you like when you like in terms of even accessibility, like stores or restaurants or, or things of that nature. It's interesting. People either overcompensate. I was at the Sevalier Theater in Medford watching Jim Gaffigan with Elisa, and it was very accessible. And it was a very, the theater did a great job. I'm leaving and I'm in my chair, my power chair, moving through, and the crowd's there, and I'm taking my time. And people are like, oh, come on through, please. You know, and I'm like, I'm just like everybody else. I don't, yeah. I mean, it was kind of nice that they were, but it didn't need to be. I'm fine. Yeah. You know, there's no reason I get to skip the line just because I'm in a chair. So, yeah, it's, um, people do treat you you very differently. My IBM friends that I connect with, I, you know, we get to talk about that and they get that. And I would tell you, I'm not sure I would get it if this didn't happen to me. You have to be in this situation to understand it. So, what I'm hearing, I mean, you've got a tribe of, IBM family, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, how, how did you discover one another in terms of social media? Did that play a role? In, social in media plays a huge role. Um, and I connect for obvious reasons with people who are closer to my age, who, who got it in, in their careers, for example, and affected their lives. And the people who are older, who um, were already sort of fully retired in place and not doing much. So, but there's a bunch of us who are, who are my age-ish, and they are either a little bit behind me or a little bit ahead of me in the terms of things. Um, I think of this guy, Carl Steer, from, uh, from Plymouth, Mass. It turns out when we connected, he grew up five, five houses from me. or one, He grew up in many houses, but one of them was five houses from me in Hull. And, um, you know, he's of our era and gets the same jokes. And, you know, mm-hmm. we talk probably once a week and laugh. And it's 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 very little about IBM. And there's there's a great community there. I, um, Jim Matthews, who's a pharmacist, probably 10 years older than me, 
He brings a great different perspective to this from a pharmaceutical point of view. And he's actually the chairman of the Myositis Association patient group. And he's done a great job to drive awareness. And if I have a question on what we're doing or what the disease might impact, I, I have a bone density issue now that I found out after falling and shattering my left wrist. I'm not, there's a lot of people who say, you know, I feel up here. Do you think that might be related to IBM and, and every little other medical malady they want to try to relate to IBM as a cause. I was thinking because of the lack of muscle and, you know, your ability to stretch your bones was that impactful. So that's a question I can bring to him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Facebook um, and, and Twitter, they're all great mechanisms. Now, TikTok and VWAB, Vance uses TikTok to put his message out all the time, short little vignettes that are, uh, they're funny and grab people's attention. I don't know if the word role model is the right phrase, but people who have this, maybe that are further along in the disease that can kind of like model what life can be in terms of all its potential still, because that's what you and I are talking about, even though you've got this diagnosis and there are things that you can't do now, and you know that you may be losing other things in the future. Through social media, you've met people. And I know there's this one woman who's a hero for you, Diane Holcomb. You want to tell me a little bit about her? Diane is my age. Now, it's so funny. You get, you get to meet people from all over the world. These these um, these groups are international in, in nature. She's a dog sled enthusiast. She was she posts stuff about the Iditarod the, during, you know, during the winter months. And she had a house in she has a house in Georgia that she bravely, courageously finds a way to travel to down again and live there. She's, she's another West Coaster. She posts stuff and she wants to let you know that it's a struggle, but that she's resilient and adaptable. And she takes great pride as do I in telling you how she figured out how to do something despite the lack of strength in her hands or her legs or wherever. So mm-hmm. she's, she is, she's amazing. She does I'll tell you this, we share tips on, um, she wasn't the golfer, but there are other golfers there. And I don't know if I, I've told you, Paul Dramitri wouldn't let me quit golf, despite the fact I couldn't hold on to the club. We tried many things. And he found this, this glove that I can use that allows a club to stay in my hand. I wouldn't be doing that if it wasn't for Paul. So you try to pay it forward and give little you know, tips on how to get through life and how not just to, it's very easy just to get up in the morning because there's a significant amount of fatigue that goes on with this. You can imagine without muscle it's harder to do stuff right it's easy to just go sit in the chair and um you know watch tv or you know i spend a lot of time reading these days i try not to watch tv especially the the news but i'll you know i do netflix i'm a big fan of uh of vintage uh sitcoms so i allow that you know the time of that in my day but we we inspire each other Diane was a big hiker and I made me think, all right, you can't stop moving. So I can't quite hike anymore. It's too dangerous. I, uh, I spend a lot of time in the gym mm-hmm. and I, this whole idea of, you know, exercising yourself accelerates the disease made no sense to me. And thankfully I didn't take that, that advice. And I spend two to four hours in the gym four or five days a week. And you're also actively involved in your cities. Uh, you've got a, a volunteer project that you Yep. We're starting Beverly Main Street, which is a nonprofit to uh, promote and stimulate business in Beverly as a side project, you know, making it, the city more accessible. And the, one of the contractors I used to help build this house or adapt this house for me, put the elevator on, fix the bathroom and stuff, got me involved. It started with uh, a very cool event at 
the Cabot Theater. Um, no, this was for mostly for an aging population. So the thing started at five. Place was packed with older people <laughs> by, by four thirty, quarter five, right? And they're all in place. The bus showed up and they all rolled out. It was a Dr. Rick event. And it was they showed a movie on how people adapt in their lives as they get older. And the next step for this is he and I will take a tour, me and my chair and him walking around of downtown. And the city does a pretty good job, but there are areas that um, are difficult. So if I was like like my friend Carl Steer, who, who's permanently in the chair and by choice, because it sucks to fall and it, the consequences are dire. So he made that choice. And um, I can put my chair up to a restaurant that isn't accessible, stand up, get up a few steps and get in. But many people who have this disease or are in a wheelchair anyway can't. Um, so we're trying to vet that out and make the city not only more welcoming and accessible to people like me, but welcoming and accessible to a rather large, diverse population. Mm-hmm. And everyone benefits from that. It really does. You were sitting next to a 30-year-old version of yourself. What would you say to, to that Ed Horak who hasn't yet experienced all that you've experienced? Well, I'd first say that it's kind of hard to talk to our younger selves. I think that our parents tried to talk to our younger selves and how much do we listen? I, I hope. I, no one, no one listened. No one. They don't. Because you don't know, because you think you live, you're invincible, this sort of, sort of thing. And, you know, it's, when it happened to me, I was like, I was still thinking, no, there's a mistake. I, I, I can't be in this situation. I think I'd tell them what I tell my kids a lot. And they take it whatever way they want. Uh, Robin Williams has a great quote about life being fleeting. It is. You, what you can't understand is how fast life goes. And you know, we started this conversation 40 years ago, really? Right. We've known each other for 40 years. That seemed like a minute ago. Life goes so quickly. So I think you know, you've got to grab every day and look at it as an opportunity to do something and, and not waste any of that time. And, and, and that can be in a whole variety of ways. I wasted a lot of time in my 30s. I'm not going to say wasted. I think it was sort of necessary. Trying to find a way to keep to put food on the table and manage a life that I had. And I built up that life. That, that required a certain amount of revenue. Challenge my kids to be more thoughtful and, you know, l- prepare your life so you can live in a moment. That means less stuff. Find what gives you joy every day and, and, and chase it. Right, the, the experience piece of it, you know, which you can't put any price and it's not always the expensive experience. We want to, I want to give those, I don't need any more stuff. Occasionally my kids for a, a, a birthday or a father's day will just give me a card. That's exactly what I want. And maybe a couple of hours so you could watch some Seinfeld reruns. <laughs> it's a metaphor for our lives, isn't it? Truly. And if someone wants to learn more about myositis or to connect with you, how can they do that? Myositis.org. I'll let you spell it out in your podcast, but it's yeah. gives you everything you need to know. If you were just afflicted with this disease, it gives you access to support groups and information in their annual conferences, which are uh, terrifically helpful in understanding what this means to your life. Thank you. Our guest has been Ed Horak. If you'd like to learn more, go to www.myositis.org. Or if you have any other questions, send me a note at Deirdre, that's D-E-I-R-D-R-E, at repivotproject.com. And if you know of somebody whose business is focused on the art or the science of change and you think they'd make a great guest for the Repivot Project podcast, send me a note at deirdre at 
repivotproject.com. That's D-E-I-R-D-R-E at repivotproject.com. See you next time.